Anyway, today, uh, today's episode, I brought on Michael to, again, to uh, discuss the big summer movie blockbusters and some of the, um, uh, some of the indie movies of the summer movie season because, uh, as you know, this is the big box office portion of the year, I should say, or we've finally gotten out of that dead zone, would you say, Michael? Yeah, well, there's, how would you describe the movie seasons? There's the Oscar season, right? then there's that period after, I guess <laughs> you call it the dead zone, Yeah. and uh, then there's uh, Prestige the, the season. Sum- yes, yeah, and then summer season, of course, which we're about to talk about, and then, you know, fall, and, and then back to Oscars again, so... Right. Yeah, the uh, the summer is uh, usually an, a very interesting time, and and it's interesting, I guess, too. You know, to, to tie it into the Oscars, sometimes depending if the movie is that good, a movie released in summer can catch the attention of the Academy. It's not too common, but it's happened. Right. So we'll see if we'll we'll pick uh we'll 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 talk about uh, some of them here uh, today. But uh, since you know, one of the things that I like most besides talking about movies, is doing any sort of sports-related draft sort of thing. So I figured, since I have Michael here, I'm going to combine the two elements here, and what we're going to do is a summer movie fantasy draft of sorts. So the way that this works, just so everybody at home is aware, is we are going to pick about five movies each, right? And what's going to happen is, uh, with each pick, we're going to assemble our fantasy rosters here. So in terms of deciding a winner... Uh, the way that we're going to evaluate that is highest total box office gross of all of, of our five movies and also the combined aggregate scores of the Rotten Tomato meters of all five movies that we end up picking. So hopefully that gives us a good balance between the big, uh, the big hit tentpole blockbuster movies and also the tiny indie movies that won't make a lot of money but will do very well critically, as Michael mentioned, and potentially be a... a Oscar contender come uh, next year. Right. Right. So the way that this works is that, and we shall see, we'll end up covering the movies from June 1st to about mid-September there. So this would just miss the cut for things coming out at the end of May here. So what we're missing is, some big ones we're missing are Aladdin, uh, Rocketman, and uh, Booksmart. Right. Right. Which are some, and Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters. Right, but uh, we're covering. Um, I mean, and again, these this, these dates are they're not you know the definite set in stone summer. These are the general summer months, right? Right, and so uh, we're choosing we're choosing June to mid September. Right, and also we wanted to do this. Uh, we wanted to move away from uh, starting in June just to avoid the Avengers thing because we know that the Avengers is gonna kill the box office portion of it at least, and critically it did well as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, to not have that in the mix makes this little drafting a little more interesting. So uh, with that being said, uh, since you're the guest here, Michael, I'm going to give you the first pick, though. All right. Okay. But but the way so, that this this is going to work here is you pick first, then I pick, but then I pick again because it's going to be a snake draft. Okay, just out of fairness. Okay. Okay, if that's right. okay with you. Sure. Okay, so with the first overall pick. Who are you picking uh, here, Michael? Okay, first overall pick. So this is, I'm just going to go in order of uh, release. Oh, you're going to go in order of release instead of going 
for who you think will bang it out the highest in terms of box office score. That's your strategy. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I can do that as well. I, I mean, uh, sure. well, no, no. How it de- we do it? I mean, it depends on what your strategy is. Do you want? I mean, if you're going for the win here, you can go wherever you want. You just want to. Okay. You, well, then let's. Then I'll just go. Okay. Then I'll start with uh, a box office uh, draw. Okay. All right. And uh, that is going to be The Lion King, the uh, the uh, remake, the live action. Actually, it's not technically live action. It's also animated. But uh, The Lion King, which is released on July 19th. And, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia for much of the Disney films. And I'm, I'm sure this will also come into play with Aladdin. Uh, and just as we saw with Beauty and the Beast which made, I think, $1.2 billion. Mm. Um, I'm anticipating The Lion King is going to do very, very well financially uh, when it right. comes released on July the 19th. So the first draft is Lion King. Okay, what about critically, though? Because that's, that's the other side of the coin in terms of this this little draft that we're doing here. How do you, yeah, how well do you think it will I mean, do critically? I mean, as you probably know, and you know, I've talked about it on our podcast and... and and, and, and other platforms. I'm I'm not a, a huge fan of these remakes. This live action, you know, again this remake sequel mentality that Disney seems to have gone stale with. Um, I think it probably, if I were to guess, I would think Lion King will hover around the 75. Really, that's that's an interesting. That isn't it because they've been a mixed bag, as you mentioned, right? There's Dumbo. There's Dumbo, which scored in the 47, I think. 40, I think 47 Low, is what yeah, it was that. It scored rotten. Right, it scored um, rotten, and then there's other ones that did slightly, uh, slightly better, right? Uh, yeah. I think Jungle Book was in the 80s there, I believe. Very high, yes. But right. Beauty and the Beast, and I'm and I'm using Beauty and the Beast as a direct comparison because of the, uh, the Renaissance, Disney Renaissance. You know, it's from the same time period. That uh, remake got 70 on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Do you think that there's going to be a little bit of fatigue given the fact that Aladdin, as we mentioned, comes out at the end of May here, and then with a couple months later you got The Lion King? I get that they're two different things, but, you know, they're part of the same corporate Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a fair point. I I think that uh, Lion King is uh, very beloved, however, and I think that that nostalgia will somehow overcome the fatigue, but it's certainly something to consider. I agree. Uh, again, in terms of the critical response, uh, you know, I know I haven't, I haven't seen Aladdin yet, obviously, I haven't seen Lion King, but we know that these remakes, they can't surpass the originals. You know, so I'm, I'm assuming here for Lion King and, and for Aladdin that it's, you know, there's going to be praise for some performances, there's going to be praise for the visuals, but it's ultimately not going to have that same attraction or heart as the animated. So I'm guessing in, in the mid-70s for Lion King. Right, and I think that's an excellent first pick. That was on my board as well, for sure. One of my top contenders. But for my first overall pick, right, for my first pick, I am picking Toy Story 4. And, and right. the reason why I'm choosing Toy Story 4 here is I think it has a good balance of box office poll and critical reception as we've seen with the other three Toy Story movies in the, in the franchise, right? They've all scored near 100 or exactly 100 in the case of uh, Toy Story 2, right? Right. So I yeah. think I, w- I, I think 
this is a great pick for that regard, right? I think that. Well, and and I agree with you, Nate. I, I would be. I am a little skeptical because I, I feel that, you know, that this is a movie that may be, you know, pushing its luck because the 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 original three are so perfect, and Toy Story three was ended so well that Toy Story four may not be able to to live up to that. But we'll see. I I still think even like because it's Pixar and because it's even in a downturn situation for Pixar I think it's gonna end up being a high 80s movie Mm -hmm. if not like I said up to the echelons of the other ones where it was close to 100 if not 100 right and I think financially just given the amount of cachet that this franchise has uh, it's probably the marquee Pixar franchise right because Pixar has a lot of great films but not many of them are franchises they haven't ventured into this whole sequel culture until recently, right? Uh, the Toy Story is probably their still their most. I would you call it their most famous property? Uh, Pixar's most famous. Yes. Uh, well, I don't. Maybe not any. I don't. I wouldn't say if it's their most famous because they've had so many hits over the years. But I would say, undoubtedly, their most important. Right. Its historical importance is uh, untouchable. I mean, it started. It really, it really started at all for Pixar. All right, and uh, that movie comes out on June twenty first, and I just think that, regardless, I think it's going to crack over a billion dollars. I think there is concern here that it's going to go up on the same weekend as Child's Play, the Child's Play remake. But I don't yeah. think that that Child's Play remake will be much of a threat to the big box office poll overall and I wouldn't say so right. I think the big attraction for child's play is Mark Hamill uh, as the voice of Chucky but right right yeah and I, I don't know if you had that movie on on your board but I didn't I have, do not I did no. not have that one yeah. uh, so am I going again here so, yes go ahead okay for okay so for my next okay, so to recap we have Lion King I have Lion King and uh, Nate has Toy Story 4. Right, and with my second bet, because it's a snake draft here, I'm going to, again, go for a big franchise film, one that has done well financially, and recently, even critically, you know? I'm very surprised that it has reached this sort of turnaround, actually. I'm going to go with the Fast and Furious spinoff here. Of course. Uh, Fast and Furious Presents. Right, exactly. Fast and Furious Presents. Okay, Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, which is the spinoff starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham, uh, as well as Idris Elba. Right, like this is a franchise where I don't think anybody expected it, it to be as big as it has become. Right, and even as I said, uh, the turnaround of how it has almost endeared the critics in a way where it has been so full throttle. Uh, to no pun intended, in terms of the way that it goes with its approach, and it's like this is what I, this is what I am, this is what it is, you know. And yeah. you either gotta roll with it or you know forget it. And I think that that has in- endeared the critics and audiences alike. Well, it's one of those like it's it's gotten ridiculous, but that's why it's fun. Yes, and yeah. I think when we talk about summer movies, you know what I mean. Uh, it's not always the awards contenders, as you mentioned. It's you know, these types of movies, you know, giant movies that are ridiculous, that are stupid, that, you know, you go to theater. Yeah, well, you know, like, I just saw John Wick, yeah. uh, Chapter 3. I mean, and that, that's just ridiculously silly. 
Yeah. But it's it's very fun. It's it's a very entertaining movie. But you have to acknowledge that it's not supposed to be taken at face value, right? Right. Yeah. And I yeah and on and I think that right now, especially with with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he just can't miss. Like everything he does seems to just make a bunch of money. You know. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, isn't he? He he was at least a few years ago the highest paid actor in Hollywood. He he's, he might still be. Right. And I I just think that this is a home run of a pick here. I I was debating between. Well, it's a, yeah. I mean, certainly uh, financially, as he said. I don't know about critically, but again, for that, know, I'm, it depends. It depends. I guess in the mood of critics, if they take it for what it is, then you know, then it will probably be positive. If they're going to be picky, then they could lower the score. Yeah, I I think that recently, like I mentioned, it's just like the turnaround on this franchise has seen substantial improvement overall where mm-hmm. originally it started out as this kind of passed over thing where it was in like the 20s you know 30s and that Rotten Tomatoes made a range but right. now in the last uh, the last couple at least you know you've seen Fast uh, Fast 7 was a 79 a franchise high 79 mm-hmm. you know so it's not going to hit that Toy Story range of that 90 or even high 80s range, but I'm banking on the fact that the financial aspect of it will help it out balance out that range in terms of our drafting here. So yeah. that's why with my second pick, I went with Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, you know, because you know, if there if there's anybody you got to bank on, it's got to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and he's uh, he's a very charismatic star. I mean, as a wrestling guy, I think you would you would know that more than most. You know, yeah. are, are you surprised by this sort of uh, scat, uh, this sort of ascent to superstardom for him? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and it, but you know, if you you know, and I, you don't even have to really watch wrestling. All you have to watch is his bits as The Rock, and you could see uh, what a talented performer he was. You know, not just the athletics in the ring. But uh, delivering promos on the mic, uh, there was really nobody like him. I, you know, so it's, it was very clear that Dwayne Johnson was uh, was a star that could make it. In fact, I think he's really the the first and I'd say only wrestling wrestler who really made it in Hollywood. I mean, Hulk Hogan never made it. Mm. Certainly, Roddy Piper tried he could have he certainly had the mic skills but he never really made it uh john cena is attempting now to to do that but it's it's been the rock that has really set the mold for you know the wrestler to become uh an entertainer outside of the ring right and i i think it's a different set of skills too eh? as much as there certainly crop there's certainly some crossover and certain certainly some applicability I think that it takes a certain set of different set of skills to be a successful Hollywood actor. Yeah. You know? And I think he has that balance of comedy and physicality, which kind of helps him. Yeah, he can play, you know, he can, uh, he's right, he's a very good, I think he has a very, he has excellent comedic timing. Right. I think he's a very good comedian, actually. Um, and But he can also play that, that bastard son of a bitch very well. Yeah, uh, he so he can play a lot of a lot of uh, different uh, character characterizations. Mm. Okay, so now with my second pick out of the way, what is your second pick here, Mike? Right, so I'm going for Quentin Tarantino's ninth film as director, 
and that comes out on July the 26th, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, so this is set in the uh, summer of 1969, 50 years ago, and uh, you know it just follows a, a, a group of characters in Los Angeles in 1969. Uh, you know half of them fictional, half of them real. You know there's going to be Bruce Lee's in this movie, Sharon mm. Tate, and, and Charles Margot Manson. Robbie. Yes, that's right, and and, and Charles Manson. So they're, they're also going to reference the. Uh, the Manson murders, the infamous Manson murders of '69. So it's uh, it looks to be again a a, uh, a pastiche of many different genres, as as Tarantino is known to do. It's uh, it looks to be a, a parody, a satire, but also a, you know a love letter of sorts to to filmmaking to that time in history. Uh, it has a, certainly a, an all-star cast: Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, as you mentioned. Uh, Sharon Tate, Al Pacino is is in this. Bruce Dern, of course, as he is usually in um, in uh, uh, Tarantino's films. Luke Perry, mm. who passed away a few months ago, this uh, will be one of his final films, if not his final. Uh, so I think, from a box office perspective, I mean, Tarantino's never really broke records per se. Mm. I think he'll make a, you know, a, a certainly. A, the, I think the film will certainly break even. Will will make a, a, a healthy uh, profit, um, uh, but that's not really what's going to put it over the top in this draft. I think critically, uh, you know, most Tarantino films have been well received. Some more than others, obviously. But I would anticipate this film at probably scoring in the low 80s or so. Mm -hmm. Probably not Tarantino's very very best, but from the looks of the trailers and from what I've been reading, it looks to be. At least better than you know some of the lower tiered entries in his filmography. So, right. uh, yeah, and I think this is one where he is. Well, it's premiering right now at Cannes. Right now, as we're actually as we're speaking, in fact, uh, th th it's on over on uh, over in Cannes. Yes, which that's is right, something May 21st. that you know he uh, really worked hard to get in there. So we shall see if it gets up there. Uh, in terms, we'll see soon enough how well it does critically. At least the early buzz. I think that Tarantino is a guy that has always been able to transcend this sort of barrier between the casual audience and the uh, hardcore cinephiles, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, he's been a guy who has been able to occupy both realms, you know, where some other kind of art house directors have not been able to, or I, I don't even want to call him an art house director, but you know what, you know what I mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the people that... Uh, film Twitter and uh, all these guys on like Letterboxd and whatever considered to be like the holy grail you know he's one of the more financially successful guys out there uh, in that regard right uh, yeah the, and, and of course one of the more unique uh, voices as a director as a screenwriter I mean my only concern is that The Hateful Eight only hit 54 million which, yeah, now I think that was because, you know, and, and he even said himself it was an anomaly that he did the same genre, you know, twice in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, he had just done Django Unchained and then he did another Western, you know, with The Hateful Eight. Uh, and so maybe, you know, there was, uh, I guess, a Western fatigue for Tarantino fans or unfavorable comparisons to Django. I mean, this is in a totally different era. It's a totally different movie. Right. I think that part of the reason that was a bit of a struggle for him, financially speaking, 
was that it was released at the same time as Star Wars, right? Force Awakens. Uh, which, December 2015, yes. Yeah, which took a lot of his box office pull, which is another concern I'd have here for the purposes of this draft, which is why I didn't take him with the second pick, is that it's go, it's coming up, it's sandwiched in between The Lion King the week before. Well, it's the week after Lion King. It's, yeah. the, it's the week, yeah, it's the week after Lion King, and it's the week before Fast and Furious. So you're putting yourself in between two mega, mega blockbusters, you know? And... Mm-hmm. And as we've seen with the Avengers, how many screens are they going to devote to, even though it is Tarantino, obviously, but how many screens are they going to devote to this movie when they have The Lion King rolling over into its second week? Well, I mean, obviously Lion King is going to take more because it's going to be 3D and AVX and, you know, all those other gimmicks. Right. Uh, You know, I... Tarantino is just going to be, I'm assuming, a regular screening. It's not 3D and it's... You know, doesn't need any special gimmicks. Just a regular, a regular screening. Right. So I think that will hurt its box office pull a little bit. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Point. Well, possibly. I think that's that's. Uh, but then you have to also assume that you know the Lion King fans are different than the Tarantino crowd. Mm. So. Oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah, that that is a fair point as well. So uh, that's an interesting pick for sure. I it's it's going to be one where. It's definitely his highest profile cast uh, as well. Pro- potentially his second last movie, if rumors are to be believed, where he only does 10 feature films. Right. You know, this being the ninth. Yeah. So it will it, be interesting to see where this one goes. I strongly did consider taking this one later in the draft, though, too, just because of the fact that it is, like you mentioned, Tarantino, and he has a good balance between the two. All right. But uh, with the you have the next pick here, Michael. Okay, well, I'm going to go down the line a little bit into uh, September. I'm going uh, September the 6th, and that's it, Chapter 2. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was a very big fan of the, uh, it, the first It. I thought it was uh, certainly very well done and uh, certainly created a, a good anticipation for the concluding uh, second half. And, uh, you know, the first one had a number of unknown child actors, and still it was quite engaging. And so It Chapter 2 has them as adults with, you know, an all-star cast. James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, uh, and Bill Skarsgård will return as, uh, as Pennywise. Um, if it's anything like the first movie, I think it's going to be uh, a good mix of humor, you know, lightheartedness with genuine... You know, good jump scares and creepy imagery. Um, And, uh, you know, it's a Stephen King story. So it's horror, but it also has a heart as well. Mm. So I'm certainly anticipating uh, it chapter two. The first one did very well critically and it did very well financially. Uh, And so, you know, I think the anticipation will certainly help its box office numbers. And if it is indeed a good movie, that will only bolster it. So I, I'm um, I'm going to assume uh, you know a good uh, I'm, I'm not sure of exact numbers but certainly a very good uh, uh, box ho- box office intake and a uh, in the 80s uh, score. Right. Do you think that it being a sequel kind of hurts it here in both regards? Where but it's not. I guess yes, yes and no. But it's not really a sequel because it's part of one story. Right. I, I understand that. No, it's the adult. It's, it's the adult portion of the book, right? 
Yes, exactly. And you know, I'm just looking here at the numbers. So the uh, the first one made 35 mil. The first one was uh, made on a budget of 35 million, and grossed over 700 million. Mm. So obviously a very healthy profit there. Um, I I don't think you know going back to that. Uh, I, I again I wouldn't consider it a sequel per se. It's a continuation of the story and where the first one left off, just like in the book, obviously, and the the mini series back from 1990. There is that that uh, interest to see how this resolves. Mm. So uh, I, I don't think that would I don't think that's going to hurt it because it's it's uh, it's a continuation. We need to see how they confront this this demon clown and how everything wraps up. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's a great pick as well. Probably something I would have considered. Uh, I think that the fact that it is in there in the middle of September, much like the first one will help it financially. I don't think that there's going to be anything super significant that it comes up against, except for the small indie movies that will do very well with the critics, because that's around the time, as you mentioned, where uh, Oscar season is start, or, you know, uh, campaign season is starting to uh, ramp up there, right? Right. So that will exist as one of the few blockbusters there of that month, which I think helps it, as you mentioned. And horror... Uh, it's something that we haven't talked about, but it's something that does real well with uh, with the audiences in terms of box office poll. Uh, you saw how well uh, Get Out did a couple years ago financially. Right. And you've seen right. how well a lot of these uh, Blumhouse movies have done, uh, like The Conjuring, you know, that aren't even necessarily great horror movies per se, but they've done real well at the box office. Yeah. Well, even you look at, uh, for instance, Pet Cemetery from earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the numbers here, and it, it grossed 109 million dollars against a budget of 21 million. Right. So, so I mean, that that's it. It it uh, it, it made money. Right. So I think uh, horror it made money, and I think Stephen King's name also adds to that allure. Right. I think horror is always something that is a good bank in terms of financial returns, just because people don't go into it with the assumption that this is like an art house movie or this is going to be a pretentious movie. Like people go into it as like, I want to be scared, you know, uh, kind of situation so that they're more open to seeing things that are, that stray away from your classic superhero movies or, mm-hmm. you know, Disney affair. So it's one that definitely does well at the box office. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Right. So. Just, okay, I think it's your turn now, right? right? It's my turn. Well, since I got two picks back to back here, with my uh, third pick here, I'm gonna go a little bit smaller. A movie that won't make very much money. I doubt it will even reach that many theaters. But I know that it will definitely be one of the more well-regarded films critically uh, of the summer for sure. Which is why I'm surprised it was even released in the summer. Or it's slated for the summer, I should say. And that would be The Farewell, uh, which is the movie uh, starring Aquafina, who has also seen this sort of rise to... Uh, she was in Ocean's 8 and uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And now she takes the starring role in this movie about a Chinese family who is trying to deal with um, the grandmother who is dying and trying to figure out whether or not they should tell her or not. And... Uh, Early buzz from festivals has it at uh, 100% already Wow! on the tomato meter. So I, I think I'm good there, you know, in that regard. I think if it, again, as we mentioned with the Oscars, as we've talked about on this podcast before, is this process of 
in order to get the Oscar, you need uh, to have the right momentum heading in, and obviously we're a long, long way out. But at least right now, in the early, early, early stages, you're seeing this movie resonate really well with critics. Right. right. And, and, you know, and, and again, going back to the idea of uh, having a movie about uh, 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 racial, I wouldn't say, I guess not a minority, but, you know, a racial group that is not typically seen in the films, in films, right? Uh, so, you know, this is, uh, again, about Chinese Americans. How, right. how often have they been the stars of Hollywood movies? Right. Not at all, Right. Right. So, the, so it, the, it has a great potential, just like Crazy Rich Asians, you know, to tap into that market of, of these viewers and, and anybody else, too, who's just, you know, curious about seeing different voices on the big screen. Right. And I think this is one where, like I said, I don't think it's going to get into a lot of theaters just because of the way distrib- distribution works, mm-hmm. right, for a movie like this. This movie comes out on July 12th, by the way, uh, or it should come out on July 12th, whether or not it reaches your particular city especially if it's a smaller city it remains to be seen yeah but right now it's slated for july 12th hopefully it gets to where we are but we shall see uh but i think with this pick i'm really banking on one side of the equation here taking in the tomato meter score maybe to balance out my uh fast and furious pick here which could potentially tank in terms of the rotten tomato meter score so this and toy story will help balance it out i hope you know Make, yeah. my, make my team a little bit more even <laughs> here, you know, got, got some strategy going on here. With yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for this one, definitely, for sure. People who have seen it, like I mentioned, at Sundance have had rave reviews. Hopefully, if I don't get to see it in July, I will get to see it at some point before it comes, you know, before it gets to home video. But right. something yeah. on my radar, for sure. And... I don't have anything more to say on that one, unless you. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I would agree. I think uh, again, it has, uh, it's, uh, it speaks to to uh, to uh, voices that we don't see often enough in cinema. So it, you know, it has the potential. And obviously, as you said, early critical reviews are very positive. So uh, certainly, I, I would I would anticipate that. Mm. All right, and so with my, I think with my fourth pick, right, my second last pick here. Now, I've found myself in an interesting position here where I could go for the guaranteed or I could go for more of a risk, riskier one that I think will, again, score well more on one side than the other. But in the interest of making this a little bit more interesting, having a bit more balance, and this is just a pick that's right up my alley, to be honest. So right. I think i got to go with it here. I'm going to go with Midsummer. Midsommar, uh, the uh, Ari Aster movie. Uh, again, the follow-up to his uh, his first movie, his debut movie from last year, Hereditary. Right. Uh, this is the movie about the uh, Swedish uh, uh, the Swedish uh, festival uh, about. I believe it's a horror movie, or at least a psychological horror movie, starring uh, Florence Pugh of uh, of Lady Macbeth. We recently saw her in. And she's yeah, like, and uh, fighting with my family. Right, a- excellent, excellent young actress, and she's in this. And like I mentioned, Ari Aster is the director who had a huge hit with uh, Hereditary last year. So I'm hoping that this one will score very well with the critics, if not financially. But like we mentioned with it, I think it being a horror movie will help it. 
Yeah, I mean, again, horror is tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we saw the curse, uh, the curse of La Llorona earlier this year was panned by critics. Right. Uh, so you know, it, horror, and then you know, this is not one of our picks, but we mentioned uh, you know, Child's Play uh, coming out again, and I, I think you know, more often than not, unfortunately, horror films tend to uh, do poorly, but yet despite that. People are still really invested in, in, in horror, and they always hope for that next great horror film. Mm. So even if this doesn't turn out to be a good horror film, as many of them are, there's, there's an interest to, you know, to be scared and to have that, that fear, that fright. Uh, and so then that could work for it, certainly. Right. And I, I think I watched the trailer for this, and I was very intrigued already. Like, I think it has that eerie vibe to it already that I, I think will engage with the audience that is willing to see it. Again, that might be a little bit tough, given the fact that it's a smaller movie, given that it's from A24, but uh, that's another thing. But I think that those who will see it, and again, this comes out on July 3rd, uh, limited release, but in theory, July 3rd, uh, I think that those who will see it will hopefully walk away with it uh, positively. And I think it will do well critically as well as we saw like i mentioned with hereditary last year just has a good track record uh this partnership between ari aster and a24 you know right yeah yeah totally right uh well i'm sorry nate i'm gonna have to uh bring out the big guns here i did, I, you know i wasn't gonna pick this but uh, you know I, I realized that none of us neither of us mentioned spider-man did we no no and that was the one i was debating on between i was gonna either pick Midsummer or pick Spider Man, but I think I I ended up settling on Midsummer just because I needed to balance yeah. out the balance out the books here. You know what I mean? Well, mm. I'm, I so, so yeah, so I'm gonna go with Spider Man though with the acknowledgement that you know it may not pan out as successfully as we think, and I and I'm saying that because of you know and we used this word earlier on fatigue, the massive success of Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know obviously still playing. Uh, you know, it's only been out for three weeks, and it's two point six billion dollars. It looks like it very well could surpass Avatar. Um, Spider-Man: Far From Home comes out on July second. Do you think that there is going to be an Avengers fatigue that will hurt its box office? I mean, I think a billion dollars nowadays is very easy for any well-marketed movie to make. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's still going to make a billion dollars, but now. You know, in 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 comparison to the massive success of Avengers and you know Captain Marvel, is even a billion dollars? Is that even a successful number for Spider-Man? I think relative to how much they put in to it, I think it is. But again, they for the standalone films, it's a different kind of scenario for them because it's like uh, they tend to jump from here to there in terms of how well they do financially. All of them make money, obviously, but uh, obviously they won't hit that same gross as a, a team-up movie like the Avengers will, right? Yeah. And I don't think anybody has that expectation, but I will say that because Spider-Man is probably their most marquee hero, and I understand that in the modern age people are like, oh, Iron Man, you know, or Captain America, but you got to remember a time where before all this MCU stuff happened, 
Spice, it was Spider-Man. Spider-Man has always been the uh, the face of their franchise. You know? Oh, that's true. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah. There was never the Iron Man animated series, right? You know, it would, I mean, Iron Man. I would. I would argue was well known to Marvel fans, to comic fans. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the general public, as Spider-Man, I think, has been even before the movies. Right, and yeah. I, I think that, just given the fact that there's Spider-Man's name attached to it, will help it for sure in terms of a standalone. At least more so in a way than we saw with a lesser-known hero when they do their own standalone, like uh, Ant-Man has done poorly in comparison, you know, because he's a lesser-known hero. Yeah, but here with the Spider-Man name, you've got uh, a definite box office success. Uh, the first one I'm talking about, the first uh, Tom Holland-led one, Homecoming, uh, scored uh, 334 million. So you know, well below that billion-dollar mark that you mentioned, but still massively successful, right? Yeah. Find so, it. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was gonna say. So I'm. I'm guessing. I'm guessing uh, a billion for this film, but maybe not necessarily. Maybe 800, 900 million. It could be just under that mark. Uh, critically, I'm also going to guess, you know, probably fairly positive. I, I wouldn't say a claim, but I'm not an expert, again, in Marvel, you know, the MCU or, or exactly, you know, all the world building that they've done with all these films. Right. So, the, the first one, for reference, did score 92. Right. Okay. Well, so I mean, again, and you know, again, we also talked about sequels. Will this live up to the expectations, the hype? Certainly, uh, Mysterio. This is the first time we've seen him in uh, in in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so and that's you know probably one of the uh, more uh, underrated uh, villains in Spider-Man's universe. Oh, for sure, uh, he's one of my favorites for sure. And being played by Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, yeah, uh, big time actor, you know as well uh, yeah so I, I guess I, I would say my my I'm going to I, I'm going to guess that it's going to do probably I'm not gonna say a claim I'm gonna say probably it's gonna do well it's gonna do positively re- uh, critically and uh, moderately well at the box office and and, and, I, I, and I would include a billion dollars in being moderately well. Mm, it, wow, that's a high bar now to to consider that to be factual. If that's the case, you know that nowadays a billion dollars isn't even. It's moderate, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. For, I mean, moderate for this type of movie. Ah, I I, I see. You know, I you see. Know, obviously, like if uh, if uh, what was the one we just talked about? Uh, the uh, <laughs> with the Chinese family there. Um, uh, the farewell. I mean, if that made a billion dollars, that's huge. But that's oh. not a type of movie that would make a billion dollars. No, you know? you'd be happy if it made ten million dollars. Right. So for Spider-Man: Far From Home to make a billion, to me, that would be a moderately. That's like that's what would be expected, you know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I yeah. think I think it's gonna fall under, but at the same time, I, you're right. Everything like this is a machine, and we talked about this on a previous episode. It just it seems like it can't be stopped. You know, it just keeps going keeps going keeps going and then it's like eventually there's gonna be an end point but i don't think this is the end point i think this is a great pick for yeah uh, you know what you're looking for here 
And uh, just to recap before we take a short little break and then make your final pick here, uh, your team is? My team is the Lion King. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, It, Chapter 2, and Spider-Man Far From Home. Right, and my team here is uh, Toy Story 4, uh, Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw, uh, Midsummer, and The Farewell. So we, we have two very interesting approaches here heading into the final pick. But before we discuss that, let's take a brief, brief break here just to uh, do a little bit of plugging of what we got going on here on BeforeTheCyborgs.com and whatever else you got going on here, Michael. Yes, uh, so this has already been published, but if uh, listeners have not seen it, I uh, want to uh, uh, point their attention to a special uh, commemorative piece that I wrote, that I co-wrote uh, about the Phantom Menace on its 20th anniversary. Of course, that is the the first film of the prequel Star Wars trilogy, and really, as we argued in our piece, the film that reintroduced Star Wars. Uh, to to the mass public after the original trilogy, you know, because after Return of the Jedi, 16 years had gone by since there was a Star Wars movie. And if you can believe it or not, Nate, Star Wars actually had been forgotten, you know. I mean, yet there were the fans mm-hmm. that loved it. But, you know, general, uh, the everyday public, Star Wars had was now a thing of the 80s. And so the, the frenzy that was created by The Phantom Menace uh, despite its its flaws as a film, you know, narratively and, and character-wise, character development, it's still a very important film, and it still has a lot of really good thrilling sequences in it. And uh, so we look back on Phantom Menace on its 20th anniversary. So I encourage you to uh, to read that. And I also want to plug uh, an upcoming piece that will be coming up uh, just a few days before um, the release of Aladdin. And that's just a, a look back at Robin Williams five years after his uh, after his death, and uh, you know it's five years, and yet there's still that void. He was such a unique performance, such a unique presence, mm. and we'll never see somebody like that again. So, just looking back on what Robin Williams meant to uh, to cinema and uh, and the performing arts. And, uh, you know, to, to look out for the signs of, of depression and to support those who have depression. Right. And I believe you are doing the review for the live-action remake of Aladdin, correct? Which should be yes, on the certainly. Which should be on the site by the time this episode comes out. But uh, be sure to check that out, correct? Yes. And, yes. I mean, to talk briefly about it, what are your expectations going into it? Well, and again, as, I, as I've told you, <laughs> our listeners will know, I, uh, I I don't have high expectations. I think it will be turn out to be fine. Mm. It's going to be, you know, well-made in terms of its production value and costumes and and, and all that. But I, I doubt that it will capture the magic and the heart of the, uh, of the original animated film. I mean, I'm going into it much as I went into Beauty and the Beast. And my review of Beauty and the Beast, you know, if you go back on the site and look, I, it was a mixed review. I certainly enjoyed elements of it, but at the end of the day, it was not the original. Mm. And so I'm, 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 that's how I'm anticipating Aladdin. It could be pleasantly surprising and be actually excellent, but, we'll, but I'm not expecting it to be. Right, all right. I, I, I think it's definitely one 
I'm very wary of it because Aladdin is one of my favorite uh, Renaissance movies, uh, Disney Renaissance movies, if not my favorite completely of mm-hmm. all of the Disney films. So I'm, I'm going to walk into it with, you know, hopeful, but I, I don't know, man. It's, it's a tough bar to, to reach, and I think it is. It's, it's one of those things where when you're playing yourself against uh, the originals, it, it's like you, you, it's basically a zero-sum game, right? Like it's hard to win. Yeah. You know, unless you're yeah. talking about something like the Jungle Book, which works because the Jungle Book is such a such a bare film. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's such. Well, a... I also think the fact that those are older movies help it with modern audiences. Yeah. You know, that was 1967. You know, but uh, you see, Aladdin that's 92, and we grew up with it, and it's more in our public consciousness than Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So be on the lookout for those, and uh, just for me. Uh, I'm working on a project here. Hopefully, we're going to get it out fairly soon here. Uh, some video stuff, related stuff, so maybe that will ha- come up by the time it comes out. I'm heading into a meeting later this week to get that settled, so we'll see where that goes. And uh, uh, in terms of reviews, I know that Andrew has a Book Smart review coming out. Uh, should be by the end of, well, it should be out by the time you listen to this. And that would be the Olivia Wilde coming of age movie, which you know, without even seeing it, I already know is straight up my alley. Once once more, mm-hmm. so I'm definitely gonna go see this. Uh, been very well regarded already with at 100 on Rotten Tomatoes, so be on the lookout for that review. And uh, if you haven't already checked out Mike's coverage from Tribeca, definitely go and take a look at that. Uh, but with that being said, um. What's your last pick here, Michael? What What is your last pick? All right, my last pick, uh, and I'm gonna go uh, into September again. This mm. is this is really the end point of our dra- end point of our our summer month bracket, and I'm going to go for the movie adaptation of Downton Abbey, which is a uh, a British uh, television series which was very well received and it's set during the Edwardian period in English history between 1901 and 19. 19- 1910. Um, I never actually did watch Downton Abbey. I have seen uh, a few episodes, but I, I didn't watch it as a regular. But I know that it has lots of uh, devoted fans, you know, as many of these TV shows have. Mm. It has its legions of, of supporters. And so this is the movie, uh, the move, the Downton Abbey movie. It's a television show that's getting its movie. And, um, you know, I think certainly it's going to be. Um, very well anticipated by fans of the show, and it should drive it to to a, you know a modest box office uh, return. You know, especially for a being a movie based on a television show, and and it's a historical period in you know, the 1910s. Mm. Uh, so it's it's a very niche movie, uh, but I think the fans of this will certainly drive it to uh, to success. And if it is like the show, which has received the claim, uh, it should also uh, do very positively in, from a critical standpoint. So I'm gonna I'm gonna choose Downton Abbey as my final pick uh, to round out this list. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably lesser known, obviously not a blockbuster by any means, but it has that base. It has that base of support, right? Which uh, has the potential to uh, you know bring in some cash and and and. Uh, be fairly well received very interesting pick because it's one of those things where like you know like 
you remember when uh, Sex in the City, the movie came out, or something along those lines, you know, where yeah. these are very popular television shows, obviously, and they get translated to film, you know, and it's kind of a mixed bag. You can even go into children's uh, uh, movies, right, and you can go with, like, Hey Arnold, the movie from our childhood, you know, right, right. Pokemon, the movie, was a uh, translation from the television show over to film, you know, and it's an interesting mixed bag here. Of, yeah, or do you, I don't know, do you, do you remember the Simpsons movie? That was quite uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was, well, that one did really well, and I think, but, yeah. again, the Simpsons are a different breed, though. They're kind of an instant. Yeah, well, they're more, co- yeah, more commercial, but certainly I know what you're saying with the other ones, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the Muppet movie, even, you know, and things. Yeah, that, things, I mean... And, and it's, you know, it's so interesting because you look at like shows like Game of Thrones, or really, if you think about it, those are movies, mm-hmm. the budgets and the scope of that, that is a movie. It just happened to be released on, you know, the small screen. Right. Uh, but there's no reason why that couldn't be a movie. So, but it's always interesting to see the, the, the TV shows be made, be adapted for, you know, the cinematic experience. And, uh, yeah. and it's one of those things, like I'm looking up and down the list here and most of them that I can see at least are tied to children's entities and it's kind of rare to see an adult uh, oriented TV show be translated to film you know uh, some of the ones like I mentioned are Sex in the City and Star Trek but other than that you know you don't really have adult oriented TV shows yeah. that come over to film that often whereas in television I mean sorry with children it's much more common you know Spongebob and all that stuff come over fairly yeah, easily yeah. right now scooby-doo yeah. rugrats and yeah and those have had several entries as well right right yeah so, you know, you're right the, the adult drama te- television shows they haven't really made it onto the big screen so i guess it tells you something about the show that it has to be popular enough uh, for it to be made into a movie, they, obviously the producers believe that it's it's going to do fairly well. It's not mm-hmm. just any old show. It's it's uh, it, it has uh, it's it's loved by enough people to warrant uh, you know them paying admission for a ticket. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay, so with my last pick here, now honestly, because it's the last pick, I could go in on myriad of directions here, right? Like, and I, I'm going to list out my thought process here and then ultimately settle on my decision, okay? But like, I seriously thought about going with uh, uh, with the Guillermo del Toro movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, you know, as, yeah. we, as we mentioned with the horror, horror thing and the fact that it's Guillermo del Toro, there's a good balance there. But I, I opted against that. Uh, there's also, you know, with this particular draft format, you kind of want to go for children because children always make a lot of money, especially in the summer, you know? So I thought about going with Secret Life of Pets 2, which did really well, the original one, uh, at the box office. So that was a consideration right. for me. And then there's there's a bunch of other ones, too, like Dora the Explorer, the live-action movie, you know, Angry Birds yeah. 2. Uh, again, these children's-oriented movies that would have done very well financially. But the one I ultimately ended up for, and I think, as we mentioned with the whole superhero thing, is the one thing that you can really bank on these days at the box office is superheroes so I went with X-Men Dark Phoenix ah yeah yes certainly so this is the final entry in the Fox 
uh, version of the X-Men franchise, obviously. Uh, recently, Disney has bought up uh, Fox as part of a major merger uh, purchase for, I believe, $70 billion. So you'll see the X-Men start to be incorporated into their own branding and their own uh, uh, distribution. So this is the concluding chapter to the franchise that we've seen starting out from way back in the early 2000s, right? With uh, X1, you know, the Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart one. This is the... This is like the continuation of that, but sort of a spin-off. But they're all kind of interconnected kind of thing. It's, it's confusing, but... <laughs> this is what... Uh, this is the final, final chapter for Fox in that regard. Right. Uh, this is an adaptation of the very famous Dark Phoenix comic, which is one of the more well-known X-Men comics. Among them, the one where uh, Jean Grey uh, goes uh, goes rogue. Spoiler alert. Well, I guess that's already been told in the trailer. But <laughs> this is uh, one of those movies that I think will, again, do very well financially. I don't know about critically, but I figured that I have enough one. I have enough close to 100s in there. To balance it out. Yeah. And yeah. I guess going back to that fatigue, uh, it would be interesting if it would affect it. I think not as much because the X-Men were not, you know, part of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't really seen these this group of characters as much, uh, you know, because uh, we were talking about Spider-Man and he, you know, he was involved, obviously, in the Avengers. Right. Uh, so maybe people would be tired of seeing Spider-Man. But X-Men is is not part of the Avengers. So there is, I think, I think it could come, come back the superhero fatigue. So it has that going for it, I think, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, it is sort of the end of an era, if you will, with the distribution rights. Right. And uh, it's, I, I don't think very many people in the casual audience care about that or even are aware of the fact that there's a merger. But the fact that this is the closing chapter for the one that stars an actual you know, pretty strong cast here of actors that have gone on to become megastars, you know. Obviously, that wasn't the case when they started out. So I'm talking about people like uh, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, you know. When they first jumped into this franchise, this X-Men franchise, I don't think that they were projected to be future Oscar winners, you know, in the case of Jennifer Lawrence or, you know, these big-name, big stars that everybody knows nowadays. Uh, like I mentioned with McAvoy, or even with Nick Holt, who recently starred in uh, Tolkien, which you right, that's the right, site, yeah, right, yeah, and yeah. Who, so, like, there's there is a strong basis there, and to see that conclusion, uh, I think will there will be an audience for it, as as is the case with a lot of these types of movies, right? And oh I, yeah, I yeah. think that is a solid final pick, but I'm was debating between a couple but uh what about you michael if you had a couple more picks or if you were there a couple you were debating between here on well, summer the, another one another one that i had listed was uh, it's called yesterday mm-hmm. and that comes out on uh, june 28th and uh that it's uh, directed by danny boyle and it's written by richard curtis uh probably most well known for four weddings and a funeral and it's it's a fantasy piece which also serves as a tribute to the Beatles. And uh, it's about um, this this uh, young musician who suddenly wakes up to discover 
only one in the world who remembers or knows about the Beatles. Some, nobody knows mm. that the Beatles existed except for him. So he starts to plagiarize their songs and, and pass them off of his own. And of course, he's subsequently labeled a genius. So it looks like a, a quirky uh, comedy fantasy. But again, also uh, with underlying tribute to to that great, that great uh, those Fab Four. Mm. Um, so I, I think uh, I think it has. Uh, I'm certainly very interested in it. The the talent, uh, perhaps not so much the cast, but certainly Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis. I think are, are pretty big names in in the movie industry. And uh, even just the uh, the allure of hearing the Beatles music, uh, I think will you know will make it a uh, one of it could be one of those sleeper hits type of things. You mm-hmm. know, you wouldn't necessarily expect it to do well, but it, it could haul in a respectable amount, and you know, probably probably uh, you know do comfortably well with critics. So uh, that was on my list as well, certainly. Uh, and then I also had uh, oh Shaft on June 14th, uh, which, you know, sort of, it's, it's a sequel, I guess, uh, you know, it's uh, a modernization of the very famous 70s black exploitation movie, and mm-hmm. we got uh, uh, Samuel Jackson in there, and, uh, you know, Richard Roundtree, the original Shaft, and Regina Hall, who just comes off uh, an Oscar win, so that could be another fun, uh, a fun movie, it could be nostalgic for some people, again, you know, if you have good memories of the original Shaft and the subsequent series. And mm. Samuel Jackson, frankly, to me, is a draw. So I'm uh, certainly interested in that. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson's in everything, though. So it's like... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but going back to yesterday, which was something that I also had on my list, do you think... I, like, I think that the approach here is interesting because I am not particularly a big fan of them just doing the straight-up biopic because I think that the straight-up biopic is overdone and it's boring and it's usually been filtered through the uh, band members or the musician themselves so it's like presented in a light that's like very favorable you know uh mm-hmm. so what do you think about this approach here well yeah i mean i like that it's not about the beatles but it features the beatles so i think that's a, that's an interesting way to you know uh pay homage to the group and because it, it's not a biopic, it's it's about you know finding your way in the world and you know and yeah. and sharing your love of music. Do, do you think and it's an, Do yeah. you think that works in its favor or against it? Because you've obviously seen the success of Bohemian Rhapsody last year. Uh, well, I think it works in fa- because I think I think what's going to drive people to see it, mm-hmm. as as you know, for me is the uh, the Beatles soundtrack and how it pays tribute to the Beatles because. You know, the story on its own is, you know, it's about about a guy who's struggling to make it as a musician and all of a sudden he plagiarizes some songs and becomes famous. But it's the songs that he's plagiarizing that are really the extraordinary part of the story. It's the Beatles and that nobody seems to remember them. Um, so I think uh, I think it, it works well because there's no expectation, unlike Bohemian Rhapsody, it's not about the Beatles, mm. right? There's no... Uh, historical inaccuracies or things that are left out. This is not about how Paul met John. Yeah, this yeah. Is just a, this is just about the power of their music. I mean, we, we've seen something similar to this with, uh, in terms of approach with like Across the Universe. I don't know if you remember seeing that movie. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, yes. Right. 
but yeah. that was a Beatles-centric movie that I believe did pretty well financially. I, I know it did well critically, at least, where it was it applied the Beatles' music into this love story, right? Uh, for... Well, yeah, and you know, similar to you know, if you look at those shows like um, uh, Cirque du Soleil, those acrobatic shows, and they have I think they have a Beatles show as well. Mm. You know, mm. it's 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 not about the Beatles; it's about the acrobatics and and on all the work that they do. But it has Beatles music, right? So, mm. yeah. Do you think that there's going to be a little bit of we we've talked about a lot about fatigue, but like Rocket Man comes out at the end of May here, the Elton John-based movie, and then this yesterday comes out shortly thereafter, right? Uh, do you think that this music uh, thing... Uh, well, I mean, from a musical perspective, possibly. From the biopic, no, not at all, because as we've just discussed, it's not a biopic. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, on the other hand, could it be seen as just like a, a jukebox movie where you're just you know, hearing hits? And, uh, you know, certainly Bohemian Rhapsody was criticized for that. And early reviews for Rocket Man have been very positive, but, you know, we'll, we'll obviously have to reserve judgment until we see it. Could it also be just a, a medley of songs? And, oh, you know, we loved it. So, mm. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So just to recap once more, our teams from top to bottom here, I have with my first, uh, sorry, you went first, so you go, you go. So I have The Lion King, July 19th, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, July 26th, It, Chapter 2, and that's on uh, September 6th, Spider-Man Far From Home, July the 2nd, and then Downton Abbey, the movie, September 13th. Right, okay, and I have... Wait, oh man, I should, okay, I'm going to go in order of release date now, because... Then I have to f look for them, and I'm not quite as prepared as you in terms of the release okay. dates, my friend. Yeah, my I friend. wrote them down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I didn't. So, okay, I have Toy Story 4, which comes out on June 21st. Uh, and then I believe I have Midsummer, which comes out on July 3rd. And then I have The Farewell, which comes out on... When does that come out? Jesus Christ, I don't know when they come out. Uh... They come out, dude. This, they come out this summer at some point. Uh, July something, I believe. Hang on. Let me look it up. <laughs> it comes out on... Yeah, right there. July 12th. I had it right. I had it, I had it right. And then I have Dark Phoenix, which comes out on... Hang on. Man, yeah, I should have written these down. Dark Phoenix comes out on June 7th. And then finally, I picked... Uh, Fast and Furious, which comes out on August 2nd. Uh, that's Hobbs and Shaw. Right. So those are my picks. Uh, let us know who you think will end up winning this at the end of the summer. We'll come back to this sometime in mid-September, probably, to say who ended up having Yeah, them. well, I think it, it will be obvious who is winning, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how do you feel about your team? Just to wrap out here really quickly. I, I think I feel, I, I feel pretty good. Uh, you know... Uh, the there's a mix of uh, the big blockbusters and uh, some of the more niche films. Mm -hmm. Certainly, uh, Downton Abbey uh, for sure, and and it too I think is also more of a niche, not not a, like a mass uh, event like uh, like uh, some of the others are. Yeah. And Tarantino is a niche as well, but uh, yeah, within yeah. that within that subculture, right? Yeah. 
I think overall I'm happy with my team. I think I, I went with it very strategically. I just went with Blockbuster after Blockbuster and then kind of sandwiched in two indie movies to get the <laughs> to get the score off. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's right. That's what well, works. Yeah. You know, I think my approach, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, I'm, I'm feeling very confident here. But overall, it looks like a good summer season. Maybe not the best summer season. But, you know, you got some smaller hits, as you mentioned, and some big blockbusters. So it should be a bunch of movies that you should be able to watch, uh, which we will uh, almost assuredly review some, if not most of these, on the website at beforethecyborgs.com. So be be sure to check that out from myself, Michael, and the other writers on the site. And uh, where can they find you, buddy? I am at Maestro Michael 2, and of course, look for my articles on the site. Right, absolutely. And I am at Nate the Cyborg, and uh, that's on Twitter and everywhere else. And again, same, same as Michael, be sure to look out for everything on the site. I'm sure we'll have announcements to come out. Oh, and be sure, again, this is the last one, if you missed the message off the top, that this is the last episode to be featured on the BTC podcast feed everything is moving over to cinema cyborgs and we're gonna we're hoping to do this at least uh weekly where we just talk about uh, the biggest news stories in movies from week to week me and michael here so uh that's moving over to cinema cyborgs so be sure to hop over there on itunes or wherever you get your podcast hit subscribe and then uh give us a rating if you would like and uh if you enjoyed what you listened to And uh, with that being said, uh, take us out here, buddy. All right. uh, We'll see you at the movies. Good night. All right.